there are all kinds of fears. Did you know that? There's a, did you know that there's a fun fear? You know what I'm talking about? It's, it's why we go to scary movies, right? Uh, it, it's, it's why we like extreme roller coasters. We like to be afraid when we know that there's no real danger, uh, right? That, that kind of fear is fun. Like, sort of like when I scare my wife. Uh, she, she went in with her preschool kids, and so I'm, I'm safe today, at least until after service, when one of you tells her that, I've, that I was talking about her. But, but Julie, um, and this is a reasonable fear, I guess, she's, she's terribly afraid of mice, deathly afraid of mice. Anybody relate to that? All right, well, I had discovered over our 32 years of marriage that it's kind of funny that, that if I sort of tickle her arm in a certain way and, and just say the words, it's a mouse, it's a mouse, it's a mouse, that when she does that, she will squirm and scream. And I don't do that anymore because she suddenly began to punch and kick. And so I thought that was not a, But anyway, before she started that, it was, I thought that was just hysterical. Now, she would say that that's not a fun kind of fear. She would say that's just her husband being a 12-year-old. But, but I find it hysterical, you know. Uh, or there's the fun kind of fear, like when my girls are, are walking through the house, and, uh, and I've done this ever since they were little, and I, and I know that they're coming. I'll be waiting outside the, the bathroom door or whatever, and as soon as they open the door, as soon as they walk around the corner, I jump out and scare them. And I find that one of the, mo- the, one of the funniest and most enjoyable things in the entire world. Anybody, anybody relate with me on that one? I think that's hysterical. They don't find it that funny, but but to get the living daylight scared out of them, but I find it really hysterical. But, but there's this fun fear. That's, that's why the guys strap giant rubber bands onto their ankles and jump off of bridges, you know, the, the, the bungee jump. It's why we parachute. It's a whole kind of X-game motif that's built around this idea that to endanger oneself produces an adrenaline rush that's fun. So there is a kind of fear that is fun that most of us seek. But there's also a kind of fear that is bad. There's a kind of fear that will paralyze you and restrict you from being able to have any kind of real deep relationships. You know, there are tons and tons of people in the world who have fear issues, who have trust issues, and you can get so afraid of being known, so afraid of this or that, that really the fullness of life and the goodness of life is completely lost on you. There's a kind of fear that that even sometimes even robs you of the ability to function in life. It's the kind of fear that 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 can paralyze you and just completely rob you of your life because you're petrified. You can't move. Are you tracking with me on that one? You know what I'm talking about? And then, as all the parents in here know this one, there's also a good fear. There's a fear that will make you run from danger into safety. You know, so there's a kind of fear that will save your life. And I hope I hope he. Not gonna, I don't think there's any, any great secret, but Josh back there has a terrible fear of heights. And, uh, and I mean terrible fear of heights. Now, he would tell you what that does is it keeps him from falling. <laughs> so, see, the, and there's a real good logic to that, really, because if you don't get up where it's high, you can't fall from where it's high. Am I right, Josh? So, so, so there you go. So this is the kind of fear that could save his life. That, that's what I'm talking about. And there, there, there's a kind of fear that you would have you run or, or fight imminent death and danger in order to survive and to live. Now, now, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because the passage of Scripture that we're going to be talking about today, in, in a way, is terrifying. It, 
It is one of the most difficult and one of the weightiest texts in all of Scripture. Now here's one of the things I like about preaching through Scripture in order is that it forces me to deal with text and to talk about things that are not comfortable. And when we're not comfortable about something, we tend to avoid them. Isn't that right? But by going through it like we are, we're going to talk about this today. We're going to deal with what it says. I knew I was going to have to get into this when, we, when I said I was going to preach through Hebrews. But, but here's what my promise to you today is. All right? Here's what it is. We're going to read it word for word. And, and I'm not going to apologize for what it says. And, 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 and as we look at it, it should produce a good kind of fear in us. So let's get going. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. The, the writer is going to set up the situation at hand and we'll get into the problem, what the problem is. And then there's a word of warning and then a plea following that. So Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. About this, we have much to say and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now, now here's what's happening in this passage. The writer of Hebrews is, and I believe it's the Apostle Paul, the writer of Hebrews is saying, I have so much more about Jesus that I want to tell you. There's so much more, and I can't even begin to explain it all to you because he says you've become dull of hearing. There's so much more to know. There's a deeper reality in which you can walk. There's more life. There's deeper water. There's more beauty. There's more in which to be in awe of. And he says, I would love to teach it to you. I would love for you, for your soul to grasp how infinitely large and beautiful and mighty God is and to fill that soul of yours up with him. But he says, there's no way you're going to understand it. In other words, he says, you have somewhere along the way stopped growing and you've become stagnant. Now, now, what is one of the laws of the universe? One of the laws of the universe is that if something is not growing, it, it's what? It's dying. If something has ceased to grow, it has started to die. And some of you are like, wait a minute, I'm not growing anymore. You are growing. Even if you have reached your full height, you're growing new cells, you're growing new well, some of us are growing new hair. Some of us are not growing. So we've given up on that part of it. But it's like, uh, I'm going to waste my energy there. Let me just try to live today. You know, that's what I'm going to do. So, but you're, you are growing. And if you cease to grow, then you, you, you start to die. And he says here that there is a progression in the Christian faith that all of us, hear this, all of us who are followers of Christ should eventually be teachers. And some of you are saying, what? Wait, wait a minute. Well, that does not mean that everybody who follows Jesus eventually stands up on a stage like this or stands in front of a small group somewhere and begins to expound all the wonders of the, of the Scripture. But what it does mean is that all of us who follow, follow Jesus, as we mature in Christ, we should be able to sit down across the table from someone and explain who Jesus is. Explain the gospel of Jesus Christ. Explain who he is and what he's like and explain what it means to follow him. All of us should mature in Christ to the point where this happens. He's saying that, that, that he can't tell them 
any more about Jesus because somewhere along the way, they stopped growing. And in essence, they became stunted in their growth. Now, so he's going to say to them, by now, and this is another way that you can paraphrase it. He's saying, he's saying, in essence, by now, you should be eating the filet. I'm going to make some of you hungry here for the next few moments, all right? By now, he says, you should be eating pork chop and mashed potatoes. Can I get an amen? I've got your attention now. But he says, but instead, you're a baby. He said, instead, instead of eating filet mignon, you're still on the bottle. And now listen, here's the thing about being on the bottle. If I were to stand up here and I have a three-month-old baby up here with a bottle in his mouth, or even, even a little bit older than that. I mean, you got Brewer, who, who's he's just turned a year old here. He's over in the nursery right now. But you wouldn't think anything about him. Uh, you wouldn't think it would awe at all if, if he was up here and he had a bottle and he was feeding himself with that bottle. That, nobody looks at that and says, oh, that's strange. That's weird. What's going on there? But, but if, while I'm up here preaching, Chuck Bryant is laying on the floor sucking on a baby bottle, then, then we're going, something's off here. Some, something's not right. In fact, I love him very much, but I'm calling the cops if that happens. That's what I'm calling somebody because, because something's wrong when a grown man uh, 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 is feeding himself from, the bio, from a bottle. Something's wrong because grown men don't need bottles. That's not how we're fed. That's not how we grow. And I know some of the ladies are like, grown man? I don't think I've ever seen one of those, but, but you know what I'm saying here. Uh, th that's not how our system, systems function. In fact, there, there are going to be all kinds of physical issues that, that, that come to you when all you can do is take in liquids. People who, who can only digest liquid are not healthy. They're not healthy. And he's saying, man, somewhere along the way, you guys started off so well, he says, but something stopped, something went wrong, and what is it? He gives us a little bit of insight in the last verse of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 14, look at it. It says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. How? By, by what? Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So he, he's drawing a contrast to show what the mature do. He says, in essence, he says, mature people apply the truth they know. Constant practice. You're putting it into action. So see, here's what we know about who he's talking to. There's a group of men and women who have professed Christ and have become dull of hearing. And, and what he means by that is that they have stopped applying the truth that they know to their own lives. They have stopped practicing their faith. They still give it verbal approval. They're, they're still going, oh, that's right. That, that's good. That's the way it should be. But they've ceased actually applying it to their lives. They're still gathering together with other believers. They're still hearing the word of God. They're still saying that they believe, but they have stopped applying what they've heard to themselves. They, they hear the truth and see if you've ever heard it. This happened in anybody's life. They hear the truth preached and then they think, well, I wish brother so-and-so was here. I wish sister Farkle would have heard that. She really needed that word, you know. And, and I hope there's not a real sister Farkle out there on the live stream somewhere. But if so, you needed to hear it. So all, that's all I can say. They, they, they think it applies to other people, but not to themselves. And they, and they have become deaf to the voice of the Spirit. And they become numb to the nudging of God. They become Pharisees who self-righteously condemn all those sinners who don't measure up 
to their own standards. And so now he begins, I got, sorry, there's a a hair there. It's driving me crazy. Sorry, I could, I had to deal with it because it's like every other word I could feel it tickling there and I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something. And there's no, there's just no graceful way to do that. You know what I'm saying? I can't do that casually, you know, it's like, can I just be honest with you? This is just put a message on pause for a second. It's like, like my whole life in ministry, I've always been afraid when I've been in, in, standing in front of people and I see people laughing at times that it's not appropriate to laugh. You know, I'm just like, I didn't tell a joke and they're sitting there laughing. I, I mean, I've always like, like sneaked down with my pinky to make sure my fly was zipped up, you know. And, you know, and there are ways you can casually dig, take care of that issue, but when you got a hair sticking there, there's just nothing. You, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Some of you are like, I, I don't even know what to, what, we have gone off the rails here. It's still there. Just grab me. I rebuke you, devil. <laughs> I've never been attacked by a hair before. Well, that was weird. So anyway, all right, let's get back to the word. Let's serious mood now. Okay, here we go. So he, he, he begins to plead with them. I, I think this is where I was. <laughs> he begins to plead with these people in chapter 6. So look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 with me. He says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now, now this is, here's what's pretty interesting about this list because he is listing what he thinks are the elementary teachings of Christ. So this is very, very interesting. Here's what he's saying to them. He said, he's saying, let us leave the elementary teachings and press on to maturity. Let's, let's practice the elementary teachings and get them down so that we can move on. Uh, uh, and then he lists the things that they're hung up on. Here, here's the first one. Let's see if some of these things on the list don't resonate with who we are. He says, first, let us stop laying the foundation of repentance from dead works. Here's what he's saying. I believe he's saying, hey, can we just quit coming to church every weekend and going this week I'm just not going to do that anymore. This week, God, I repent and I'll, I quit. I'm never going to do it anymore. And every week we come back to church over and over again and we keep repenting over the same things and, and over the same issues. And he's saying, can we just break this cycle of coming here every week and saying no more and then going right back out into our junk by 1230 Sunday afternoon? He's saying, can we take our junk seriously? Confess it. Can we walk away from this? Can we get this repentance thing from these lifeless, lifeless works down? Can we get this down? And th- then look at what he says next. He says, and of faith toward God. He, he's he's going to go, listen, just, just trust him. Either you trust him or you don't trust him. He can't be everything today and then as soon as you, you hit a speed bump tomorrow, then you, you bail on him. You have to go, okay, I don't get it. I don't know how to fix it, but God's in control. So he's saying, let's, let's, not, let's, let's, stop, let's get past that thing where we're up and down in our faith, in our trust with, in God. And then, then I like these next two because they, I think they really speak to a lot of us. It says, of instructions about washings and laying on of hands. 
So, so really, he's talking about ritualistic stuff. He's talking about the aesthetics here, all right? He's, he's going, hey, maybe, let's bring it into modern day. He's saying, maybe we shouldn't argue about the carpet. He's saying, maybe, maybe the carpet does not matter to God at all. Maybe music at the end of the day, at the end of the day is just personal preference. Maybe we should probably move past these things. Maybe we shouldn't start a war over that. Maybe we should move on. And, and, I, and I can't tell you how much I love the last one here. He's, he, he says, of instruction about washings and laying on of hand. And he says, and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. What's he talking about? Eschatology, end times. This is what I think he's saying. He's saying, listen, how about instead of trying to figure out when I'm coming back, how about you just actually act like I really am coming back? How about instead of writing 13 books about me coming back, how about instead you, you, you live like, you're, you, like you really believe that in any day I'm just going to rip through the sky? How about instead of us trying to work formulations and, you know, going into the book of Revelation saying, is the Apache helicopter the locust of Revelation 7? You know, it's just kind of one of my things, you know, it's like we get so caught up on all those things that are conjecture and we don't know, we, we think maybe and... But he's saying, listen, don't get, don't let get bogged down in all that kind of stuff. Here's what we do know. He's coming back. That's what we do know. Maybe instead of trying to solve the Rubik's Cube of, 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 of prophecy, maybe instead we, we just believe that maybe it is today that he returns. Maybe it's today that Jesus comes back. Maybe we live like we really believe that. He, he's not saying, by the way, that any of these things are not important. Don't hear me say that, that they're not important. What he's saying is, this is elementary stuff, man, and, and you, sh you don't even have it down yet. In fact, every Sunday you're hearing the same sermons, saying amen to them, and he's saying, how about we apply these things to our lives and then, and then move on to the greater and deeper things that God has for us. So he's pleading with them to move on, to grow up, to mature. He's saying, let's move. Let's leave these things. Let's press on. Let's start applying these things so that we can move forward. And then, then it starts, this is the part where it starts to get a little scary. Verse 3. And we're going to spend a little bit of time trying to unpack this so that we can understand what's taking place. He says, and this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible. This is a passage of scripture that is very very painful, it's very deep, it's very heavy, it's hard. Look, look what it says. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. That is a heavy sentence. Verse 7, for that land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for, to those for, for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is, is to be burned. Now that last illustration is just talking about if you have the rain of the Holy Spirit on your life, you're hearing the word of God, you're in church, he's pouring all these things out on your life. If it doesn't, if you don't put them into practice, if it doesn't bring a harvest, then all of that is wasted time and you're just a barren field that's worth, worth nothing more than to be burned. You see that? So, Let's look at this. This is what we just said here. He said, listen, you guys, he says, you've got to pay attention. 
You have to stop being so sluggish about your faith. You have, you've become dull in hearing. You have become lazy in putting your faith into practice. And so he says, I'm pleading with you today to leave the elementary teachings of Christ and press on to maturity. I'm pleading with you to apply what you know because you're in a dangerous, dangerous spot. Now, here's the question that I think has caused a lot of issues in the church today, in the modern church, probably more than any other passage other than Romans chapter 9. And if you want to know what I believe and what I've taught about Romans 9, you can find it in our series on Romans. It's on our website, restorationlifechurch.tv. But is the writer of Hebrews saying that you can lose your salvation? That's the question that people have wrestled with. This passage usually has been interpreted in two ways. One view says that the people he's talking about people are people who have experienced spiritual things, but they were never really saved. But here's my problem with that. When you look at the description of these people, that explanation just doesn't make any sense to me because he's talking about people, he says, who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who share in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. So, so these aren't people who are just sort of checking Jesus out. They, they have been enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And that word enlightened is used again in chapter 10, verse 12, referring to the spiritual light that comes at conversion. They haven't just experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit. They have actually partnered with Him and He is their companion. They have tasted the Word of God. Let me just say, ask you this, who is the Word of God? Jesus is the Word, and they have tasted the powers of the age to come. These are not mere outsiders who have fooled the people around them into thinking they're followers of Christ. These are people who have had a real relationship with Jesus. When we understand that these were true followers of Jesus, and the passage says that they have fallen away, then we understand, okay, we see a possibility here. But I also want you to understand this, that can also, understanding it that way, can lead us to another view that's also an extreme view, that I don't believe is correct and it's not right biblically. Because the other way you can look at it, and the way a lot of people go is, the other view is, it says that it's really easy to lose your salvation. Now, now there are some things that we need to understand about this passage that will help us keep us from going to extremes. First of all, I want you to understand, he is not saying that we can accidentally lose our salvation. He's not saying that if we sin, we're automatically, instantly kicked out of the family. I mean, how many of you do that with your kids? Your kids ever, ever disobeyed you? You know, I want to be like, some are really laughing good at that. It's like, like let me count the ways. And yeah, listen, but when your child, when you, they disobey you, you don't say, all right, out, you're out of the family, get out of the house, I have nothing to do with you anymore. Of course not. Now, there are times when parents have said that to their kids. But it took a long time to get to that point. You hear what I'm saying? So he's not saying that. This is not talking about somebody who wants to follow Jesus, who just sort of keeps falling into the same sin trap over and over again and finally just boot, gets booted from the family because Jesus runs out of patience because Jesus has infinite patience. He doesn't, he doesn't run out of patience. He wants to set you free from that, but that's not what he's talking about. I, I'm thinking of it like this. I remember when I was a kid back in the old days of Pentecost, there was a lot of legalism in many churches. There still is in a lot of places today. But I remember growing up, there were churches that said if you were in a bowling alley or you were in a movie theater and Jesus returned, 
then you'd better have your hiding place for the tribulation picked out because you're not going. Anybody remember those days? Anybody old enough to remember those? I remember those days. You know, because in that moment, you had just landed on the go directly to jail space and you did not have a get out of jail free card. So, so it was over. You were sunk. And for the life of me growing up, I could not understand what Jesus had against bowling. You know, it's like, man, he hates that game. I don't get it. You know, it, that changed, though, my church when I was a kid. We actually had a church bowling league. So we were like, all right, that's all right, but don't go to the theater. So, but you can bowl now, you know. <laughs> I'm getting a little distracted today. I didn't get enough sleep or something. So let me, let me tell you, losing your salvation is not as easy or as fast as going to a bowling alley or a movie theater. The word translated falling away actually refers to a willful rejection of salvation and rebellion against God in His ways. Now remember, the problem that the writer of Hebrews is addressing is that there were these believers, Jewish believers, who have, have come to Christ, and now what they're doing, they're struggling because they're like, okay, now we came to Jesus, and we, now we have sinned. Now in the past, whenever we sinned, we have to offer a new sacrifice. What do we do now? Because we got a new sin, and we've already profess Jesus and and they were thinking maybe we should go back to the old way the old sacrifices that's what's going on to these in these Jewish Christians mind and they're saying let's just maybe we could should just turn away from Christ and go back to the Old Testament sacrificial system try to find salvation right there but the writer of Hebrews and there's a lot of passages will make a lot more sense to you if you'll understand this scenario the writer of Hebrews is saying listen you, you can't look anywhere else to find, find salvation. You can't turn your back on Jesus because there's no place else to go. Like, like, like the disciples, when, when, uh, when the mass crowds abandoned him and Jesus looked at the disciples and said, how about you, are you going to go too? And they, they looked at him and said, where else can we go? Who else has the words of life? Where else are you going to go? That's the, what's, that's, that's the point of the writer of Hebrews. The falling away that he's talking about is not some sort of struggle with sin and temptation that's the common plight of God's people because, uh, let me just take an informal survey. Is there anybody here that is a Christian and you would say, I still struggle with sin at times in my life? Let me see your hand. Okay, anybody's hand's not, uh, not up. One of your struggles is lying. <laughs> I'm sure that, okay, just deal with that, I guess. But yeah, we all do. So that's not what he's talking about. Christ, as merciful high priest, and we talked about that last week, he stands ready to provide mercy and grace for that kind of weakness. Instead, he is warning against a knowledgeable, willful rejection of Christ and his sacrifice. To reject him was to refuse God's ultimate and only effective sacrifice for sins, and severe judgment must follow after such an act. So, so that's, the, that's the, what I believe he's talking about. So how does this falling away play out in our lives? Because it's nice to have all the theory, but we need to understand how, how does this work? Of course, there are uh, occasionally, there are cases when people intentionally walk, uh, walk away from God, they repute everything they once stood for, and it just like, seems like out of the blue or whatever. That's, that's really not very common. It's, but, but more often than not, the process is much more insidious than that. I, I think of it like this. When a person comes to Christ, and he finds salvation in him. He or she, at that moment, I think you'd agree with this, is in the middle of the will of God for their life. 
Would you agree with that? You've just come to Jesus. You've, you've, you've uh, confessed him as your Lord and Savior. He's forgiven you of your sin. You're right where God wants you. Think of it as a circle in a way. You're in the center of the will of God. And, and there, now there's a lot of growing to do. But, but that person is right where God wants them to be. They're in the center of that circle. Here's what I believe happens. When we sin, we begin to move away from the center of where God wants us to be. Does that make sense? We move away from the center and we, and we slowly move toward the edge of the circle. Now, if we ignore that sin and we continue in sin then what happens is we continue to drift away from the center, getting farther and farther away from the place where God wants us to be in the center of His perfect will. Now here's the deal. According to 1 John 1, 9, at any moment, at any time, we can listen to the voice of God calling us back and we can confess our sin to God and we're told that He is faithful and just and He will forgive us our sin and He will cleanse us from all righteousness. He'll move us right back to the center, right where we need to be and, 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 and we can start, we can just begin to keep growing right from there. But if we continue to ignore His voice, because I know, listen, I know, the, the Holy Spirit will continue to deal with you as you, He'll continually call you as you drift away from where you need to be and you continue to walk in sin. He's going to keep talking. He's going to keep calling. He's going to say, keep saying, come home, come home, come back. But if we ignore His voice, if we continue to walk in rebellion, we choose to ignore the voice of God, then we will continue to drift toward the edge of the circle. And here what I believe is the frightening thing is, the problem is we don't know where the edge of that circle is. We don't know where that place comes where we take the step across the line and, and, and now we have, we have rejected Christ and we're on our own for our own salvation. And the truth is, here's the, maybe even scarier than that, if we allow ourselves to continue in sin to that point, the truth is we won't really care where the edge of the circle is by that point. And when we finally cross it, we probably won't even know it and we won't care. It's like, it's like Samson. Uh, Samson is a great story. There's so many things there, but there's warning for us because Samson had this habit of continually flirting with the things that God told him not to do. He had, he had taken a Nazarite vow, which, which was a specific vow. It, has, it sounds like Nazarene. It has nothing to do with Nazareth or the city of Nazareth, it's, but it's a Nazarite vow, and it was a specific things that he had to do one was that when you took a Nazarite vow, you did not cut your hair. There were certain things, but God had told him through his parents, he had told him from his birth that he, that to, to, to certain things that he would do. Well, he, instead of wanting to marry a Jewish girl, he liked the exotic girl out there somewhere, and he kept flirting with the things that God told him to stay away from. And he kept flirting it, kept chasing after it, and every time, every time, you know, the enemy would try to destroy him, they would, he'd say, well, uh, if you tie me up with new ropes, then that'll work. And it didn't work. And he got up and he, he just, you know, beat the crap out of the Philistines. That's my translation. That's not exactly how it reads in the Old Testament. But then eventually, got to the point where he confessed the true secret of his strength, this Nazarite vow, and they shaved his head. And it's, it's a horrible, horrible verse that says that after they, after they cut his hair, that he got up because they said, the Philistines are here, the Philistines are here, just like every other time. 
And he got up and it says that he shook himself. He's like, let me get ready for this fight. But it says, but he did not know that the Spirit of God had departed from him. That's how it works in us. So it takes a long time and a lot of work and a lot of rebellion for you to be able to work your way outside of Christ. But I'm here to tell you that it is something that is absolutely possible because the writer of Hebrews says that if we experience Christ and we fall away, that that is a much harder place to come back from. Much harder place to come back from. And it's because you've reached that point where you don't even care. If you're in here today, you should be afraid of walking away from Christ. Bottom line, every one of us should be afraid of allowing little sins to fester inside of our souls. Every one of us should be afraid of walking in rebellion towards God. Every one of us should be afraid of ignoring His voice because that leads to spiritual deafness and hard hearts. Now remember, I'm talking about the good fear. So what we don't want to happen today is for you to be wondering, oh Lord, am, am I in? Am I out? I, I, am, I, am I not in? Does he love me? I don't know. What do I do? I'm talking about the good fear that keeps you in the place of safety. Not that, that you're laying in bed just saying, I don't know if I'm saved or not. But I'm just saying, it's a fear of, uh, that, that keeps us in the place where we laying, we're lying in bed saying, I know that I know that I know because I'm not playing with that stuff. I'm not ignoring the voice of God. I'm listening carefully. One of the reasons this is so weighty for me is, is, is because what it says in verse 11, it says in chapter 5, verse 11, it says that people that need to hear this are going to have a hard time hearing this. It's a terrifying truth that the very people who need to hear this today are going to sit in here and many of them will be completely unmoved by, by what we say. Because you're getting closer to that place where you just don't care. And you've ignored the voice of God so long, it's easier to ignore it. It's harder to hear Him. You've become hardened in your heart. There, there, there are those who are dull of hearing have left their good fear behind. Because they've been pursuing those little sins for a long time. They're not afraid anymore of those things. You know, I told you in recent weeks how when my girls were, were little, how we, we worked hard to make sure that they were scared of the street. Remember when we talked about that? And, 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 and you know, I mean, I didn't want them lying in bed at night going, oh, the street's out there, what do we do? That's not what I'm talking about. But it was a reasonable fear that, that we're, when they were tempted to go out into the street that they would say, no, 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 that's a scary place, I don't want to go there. I'm glad that my, my daughters have been afraid of the street. Because you know what? There's a very good chance that today or sometime this week, we're going to be sitting in a car or at a table or someplace, and they're going to begin telling me stories about things that happened in their life that day. And we're going to probably end up laughing so hard. There might be some tears flowing because we're laughing so hard. 
I'm glad they've been afraid of the street because one day, Lord willing, some godly men, and, and God, please don't let it be some neat Christian boy. We, we don't need neat Christian boys. We need godly men in the church. But some godly men are going to begin to romance them, and I'm, I'm going to, Lord willing, I'm going to walk my girls down the aisle because they've been scared of the street. They're still alive. And so you might go, oh, come on, Hoskins. That's such a big deal. Not such a big deal. But I'm just saying that teaching them to fear the right thing helps them avoid being hurt or being killed. That is a good fear. They're only afraid when they need to be afraid. So I'm saying in this situation, I'm not saying, please don't hear me say we should live in fear as Christians and afraid that we're losing out with God. That's not what I'm saying at all. We have, we have strong assurance that we know that we know that we know that we're children of God. But what I am saying is that there is a fear that says to us, I don't want to play with sin because I know what it can lead to. And I'm not going to assume that somehow I'm different than everybody else and I'm stronger than everybody else and I'm better than everybody else and it'll never happen to me because the people who say it'll never happen to me, it almost always happens to them because they were proud in their own strength instead of being afraid and saying, I don't want to get to the place where I'm ignoring the voice of God, where I hear His voice but I don't care anymore. So, so where are you on this? Sluggish, dull of hearing, knowing truth that you refuse to apply. I, I mean, come on, listen. This is not a social club. Th this is about heaven. This is about hell. This is about eternity. This is what you were created for. And I mean, listen, if that's where you are, then this text is saying that you're in a dangerous, dangerous dangerous place and nobody's exempt we all have to be diligent we all have to guard our hearts to make sure we don't become dull of hearing like like you know years from now if you hear that i've renounced the faith and that i think that this whole thing was a mistake and i was deceived and foolish then then if you ever hear that which god willing you're not going to ever hear that then you're going to know that i didn't pay attention to what was going on in my heart you're going to know that I, I was deceived by the, by the, I was captured by the deceitfulness of sin. And I let things, little things go and let, let little things go and let them go and let them go and let them go until eventually one day I was playing the part and then finally I decided I don't want to play the part anymore. I don't care. And I come out. That's what happens when you hear somebody that, that you are shocked. You're like, man, I never dreamed that they would ever walk away from Christ. It didn't happen overnight. It was a long process that led them to the place where they finally said, I now am going to choose to repudiate Christ. I'm going to choose to rebel against Him. I'm going to willfully reject Him. And that's a really difficult place to come back from. Really difficult place. So if it ever happens to me, you're going to know that I didn't practice my faith. You're going to know I didn't take my mask off. And so, I, and so I never found freedom from the dark places in my soul. You'll know that this whole thing was really all about me and my ego. So, you know, honestly, knowing that nobody is exempt from this, I mean, the, the, the whole time preparation in preparation for this, I've been wrestling through this. You know, I've been asking myself, Lord, have I become dull in my hearing? Am I doing things that, that I know are not right? Am I ignoring the, the voice of God, am I being obedient to Christ? And, 
And so wanting to make sure I'm listening to the voice of, of the Lord, you know, I've, any, any random thought that popped into my head, I, I was like, it might be God. So I did it. It's like, go get a Coke. Okay, yes, Lord, I'm listening. I'll do it. You know, whatever, whatever it was, you know, it was kind of crazy a little bit. But, but doing things, I, I just want to make sure that I'm listening because if I think it might be God, I want to, I, I want to have that fear that says, I don't, want to, I don't want to disobey him. I don't want to miss it. And, and I'd rather make a mistake in, being, in attempting to obey God than make a mistake by ignoring Him. I'd rather look back and say, oh, well, I did that, but it really wasn't God. Rather, I'd rather have that moment than, than to look back and say, yeah, that was God, but I ignored it anyway. You hear, hear what I'm saying? Because I'd rather, I'd rather make a mistake out of a heart that wants to be obedient than a heart that is flirting with rebellion. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of back in my the younger days. And, you know, I was working at a printing, it was like right after the Civil War, you know, so it was a <laughs> few years ago. It was a long time ago. But uh, they, uh, and thank you for that laugh. I appreciate that very much. Everybody else has heard of all my jokes, so I'm glad that we've got new, new blood in here. But, but, uh, but I remember I was working at a printing company. It was between uh, ministry positions, and, and I'm not going to go all the details, but God was doing some really powerful things in my life. And I remember I was really focusing on, on trying to focus, just because I was reading his word where it says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. And I was like, Lord, I, I want to make sure that I'm learning to listen to you. Now, the way you do that is by responding when you hear that, that, that voice, when you hear a nudging. And, and you know what? If, if you respond and it's like, oh, that wasn't the Lord, well, you've still learned, right? But I remember there was, uh, I don't remember what was going on, but w- there was a group of us, of uh, a few single guys that would, we all worked the, the, the swing shift, terrible shift, like three to 11 at night. Um, and uh, I'd rather I'd rather work graveyard than that any day. Just just and the reason well I'm not going to go in. You don't need to. If you want to know, I'll tell you later. Let me I'll tell. But uh, I'm just there's a lot of rabbits running around today. I keep chasing. But I uh, I remember that we always met at, at one of the one of my friends' house after we got off work. It was around midnight. We would meet and we would just have time together talk about what God was doing in our life that day. We'd pray. They have this powerful prayer time. God was doing some amazing things in my life during that time. But, but the, I felt like the Lord was really working with me about learning to hear his voice and obey him. And I remember, I don't know what it was, but there's something happened and there was some change. Some, I needed to get a hold of my friend um, that, that, the, whose house we met at. Uh, and, and, I, and it was really urgent, and I remember every, every time I took a break for water, I'd run to the pay phone in the break room of this printing company, and I'd call him, and every time, I, I could not get him. I could not get through to him. It would either be a busy signal, a ring, 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 whatever, and I could not get a hold of him, and, uh, and I did it multiple times, and I remember all the whole time I was praying, Lord, help me get a hold of him. It was something, I don't even remember what it was, but it was something that was urgent for the moment, and and I remember praying and praying and praying, God, help me get a hold of him. And I went, I went and, and I uh, had a, a short break and I went back there and tried to call and the line was busy or I don't know, I, I can't remember, but I couldn't get a hold of him. 
And I, and I walked out of the break room, and I heard this thought that came to my mind. It said, go try again now. And my first thought was to think, I just did. Why, why would I do that now? That was silly. But then the second thought was, wait a minute. I've been praying about learning to hear the voice of God. What if this is him? I want to learn to recognize him. So I said, Lord, if this is you, I'm going to be obedient. So I went back in and I tried again and he picked up immediately. That was just a moment, just a simple little thing where the Lord is just simply saying to me, teaching me, guiding me, helping me learn. Hey, learn to recognize my voice because I'm talking to you all the time. Now, if I had said, now that's just, that's not God, and walked away, it would have been a process of me learning to ignore his voice, not learning to hear him and listen to his voice. You see what I'm saying? So, anyway, we're, we're, I need to pull it to a close here. But th- there are those in this room who, who are dull of hearing. There are people on the live stream, you're dull of hearing, and you, who will eventually say, forget all of this, and they'll walk away. And, and, you know, in that moment, God gets such a bad rap in this text all the time. People say, you know, what do you, what is it, what do you mean you won't grant them repentance? Well, the truth is, as we said earlier, when you cross that line and move outside of Christ, by that time, you don't want repentance. You don't care about repentance. You think you've already tried it. And, and, and so you, you choose to live. What happens? They choose to live in rebellion and sin. And eventually, when you read Romans 1, you begin to see that God says that if we continually rebel against Him, eventually His wrath is poured out in our life. And not the way we think, because we think of wrath of God like you know earthquakes and fires and those sort of things and volcanoes. But Romans 1 says His wrath is poured out by Him doing this, where He looks at us and says, Okay, if that's what you want, you can have it. And he gives us the thing, the sin that we want. And then we be eventually, as Romans at 1 tells us, we eventually reap what we have sown. And then we want to shake our fist at God. Why did you? Well, it's not God's fault. It, it, was, it was your hard, hard heart. It was your rebellion. So my prayer today, and like I said, this has been weighty. There's no escape. There's no way around it being heavy. But my prayer is that maybe you'd be afraid today, not with panic, but with a godly fear of ignoring the voice of God. My prayer is that you would be afraid to continue to live in intentional sin. My prayer is that maybe this word of warning today from him will create the good kind of fear that will keep you out of the street so that you'll have a future. Let me tell you the worst possible thing we could do right now. I'm, I'm going to pray in a moment, and, 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 uh, and if you need to seek the Lord, the altars will be open. and uh, you know Maybe you need to sit with God and unpack some of this and wrestle through where you are on all of these things. I, 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 don't, I don't know what your plans are today, but the worst th- possible thing that you could do, whenever there's fear or there's weight, most of us in that moment try to make light of it really quickly. You know, introduce some levity, crack a joke to take our minds off of the fear, some of the weight on our souls. 
And so it's like, hey, let's be funny here. Or, or hey, let's, let's go get something to eat with a bunch of friends. And let's get out of here. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to think about this. Let's go, let's go see a movie. Let's do something so we won't have to let this, have, uh, let this thing sit on us for a while. And I just think that, that, that that's the worst possible thing you can do today to ignore what he's trying to do. That's the worst possible thing. The worst possible thing you could do here today is to run out of here and to shut your mind off and shut your heart off and ignore the voice of God again. Because I think that if today you're hearing this and in some way you're afraid on hearing this, I think maybe you're supposed to be afraid. Maybe that's the voice of God pleading with you to wake up. And this is not meant to threaten you, but it's meant to keep you away from the street. A good fear. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm standing in front of a crowd, but it's, but it's a crowd of individuals. And nobody can answer the question but you. Not your wife, not your husband, not your best friend, not your children, only you. So where are you? Sluggish, stunted faith, can't hear God anymore. You sit around and talk about how people should live and about what is right and, and how to follow Jesus, but you do none of it yourself. Where are you? And I know this is wildly unpopular, and it might just, uh, but, but the truth is, it might just save your life. It, it might save your soul. So, where are you? Are you practicing? Are you moving? Are you growing? Are you maturing? And if not, take some time to ask yourself, why not? Lord, show me what's going on. If I had to put this passage this, into one paragraph, here's how that would read. It would, it would read like this. You guys better start putting your faith into practice because you're getting dull of hearing. Right and wrong are getting hazy, and if you don't stop drifting, if you don't stop neglecting your salvation and forsaking the gathering of believers, you're going to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, and you're going to fall away from the living God. That's the warning. Are you drifting? Are you neglecting? Are you sluggish? Have you been diligent? Those are huge questions. Are you practicing your faith? Or are you just going to church? And listen, some of you are sitting here and, and you can sit and you can smile because you're like, Lord, I just, I just know I'm right where I need to be. I know that I'm saved. I know that, that, that I'm listening to your voice. And I just thank you for the work that you've done in me. But the others that might be sitting here and this Holy Spirit is stirring you and saying something's off here. And if that's true, just like the writer of Hebrews, I say pay attention. Pay attention. Don't ignore the voice of the Lord. Would you bow your head? Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that if, if there be any stirring of any souls in this room or people watching the live stream that, that have, who have walked away from you at one point or another, Lord, that they would see and, and know and hear your call to repentance and they would hear you inviting them home. Not that, not that they would hear you uh, condemning them, but God, that they would hear the voice of Jesus saying, just Come home, come home, come back to the center, confess your sin. I'm ready to cleanse you. I'm ready to make things right. Just come home. 
Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have taken lightly your grace and your mercy and have become sluggish in the practice of, of, of our faith and, and they give it tons of lip service, but there's no evidence of it in, in their lives outside of this building. I, I, pray, I pray, Father, that the, that the good fear would settle in on their soul and would drive them back to you right where they need to be. I think today, God, I, I, just, I just want to pray against pride. Because pride would have a saying that we're okay, saying this is not me, I don't have a problem. Pride would say that we, we got this. Pride would say, yeah, there's plenty of time. Pride would say, oh, I have many days of, of rain left. I believe, God, that your cross has more power than pride, and I pray that you would break that pride what, wherever it might be. I thank you, God, for those in this room that can smile, knowing that they're yours knowing that you have saved them, that you began this work and you're going to be faithful to complete it and that, they, that they're listening and they're, they're growing. And I pray, Lord, that you would just add to that number today, those who know you. So I thank you, God, for the good fear. As hard as it is and as thick as it is and as weighty as it is, I thank you, God, for good fear that would keep us from danger and push us towards life, towards hope toward restoration. And I pray, God, that you would give the dull of hearing the ability to hear and be warned. Help us today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't know where anybody is. And as I said, I know that this has been a heavy, this has been weighty. And there's some, by the way, there's some great, powerful, encouraging verses coming up in Hebrews, but... You know what? To get to those places, we need, to, we need to deal with the weighty parts. And today, if you're here and you say, Pastor Dave, I, I, just, I just feel like God is really dealing with me. I, I, I don't need to know what about. I don't need to know how. But you just say, I just feel like there are areas that maybe I've grown dull of hearing. Maybe I've become stagnant in my growth in Christ, whatever it is, I don't know. I don't, I don't need to know. But if that's you today and you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Yes, yes, yes. Anybody else? Yes, yes. Oh, there are hands all over the place. That should make you feel a little better to realize that you're, you're not singled out. You're not alone. Yes. Anybody else? We want to have the good fear. We want, to, we, want to, we want to be careful. Maybe that's a better, even better way to say it. We want to be careful. We want to give care that we are listening to his voice. Father, you saw every hand and those that are on the live stream that have responded as well. And Lord, I pray that first of all, that they would remember your verse, your, your word in Romans 8 that says, there is there, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this moment is not about condemnation. This moment is about making sure that we're in the right place, that we are listening, that we're hearing your voice, that we're walking in obedience because God, we, we want to move past the elementary things and we want to grow up. We want to become mature. We want to be teachers 
Not necessarily in the sense of standing in front of a classroom, but we want to be the kind of people who sit down with our friends and with our neighbors, with our co-workers, and we're able to explain to them who you are and what you've done, and we become teachers because we've matured in you. So Lord, I pray, that's my prayer, God, is that whatever it is, whatever we're dealing with, whatever you're talking to us about, that God, in this very moment, that we would just come to you and in our own words, we'd say, Lord, this is, I just want to make it right. I just want to make it right. Lord, help me to move forward. Help me to grow. I don't want to become stagnant. I want to put what I learn into practice. I want to live this out because I want to know you and I want my life to make a difference. And so, Lord, I just pray you would do your work, whatever it is. And God, I pray that you would teach us this week. Help us just to be maybe a little hypersensitive to hearing your voice. That those random thoughts where you say, where the thought comes in, I should text so-and-so, I should call my friend, I should go visit so-and-so, or I should send a card here, or I should have a conversation with that person, or I should go up and, and talk to this person at Walmart, whatever it is, God, is that, God, we would be so hypersensitive to listening to your voice that, God, we respond. And in responding, God, that we would learn to recognize your voice more clearly than ever before. And I praise you, God, just for your goodness. That, God, you love us so much that in moments like this and these places in our lives where we begin to drift a little bit, that, God, you love us so much that you just don't let us go, but you include it in your word and you say, wake up, pay attention. There's something more for you. You haven't arrived. I've got so much more. I want to show you about who Jesus is, but I can't show you till you deal with this. So, God, show us who Jesus is. Show us the depths of his glory. Show us the depths of his love. Show us the depths of his power. Do what you want to do. We offer ourselves to you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.